Romans 14 is almost the end of Romans, and in fact, <clears throat> we are we are we are just a couple of chapters away from the end. So, 16 is the is the last chapter of Romans. Ch- Romans 16 is actually kind of a, a, a kind of a wrap up section where there's a lot of greetings and a lot of kind of just uh, tidying things up. So we're probably going to do 15 and 16 next week. So we have two more weeks, including this week of Romans. Following that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to do Judges. If I could think of a more opposite book in the whole Bible than Romans, it's probably Judges. So it'll be a complete change of pace, um, going way back in history. But I think it'll be good. I think it's good to kind of alternate back and forth between the Old and New Testament. So let's talk about Romans 14. And... I think kind of the, you know, what I've been saying over the past few weeks is that Paul has, has specifically written Romans to a very specific group of people, which is the church in Rome. And again, just to sum up, who is in the church in Rome? <clears throat> who are the people that make it up? <clears throat> Jewish vagabonds. Jewish vagabonds. <clears throat> <laughs> Jewish people, I'll say. It's good. What else? Gentile. Gentiles. What does Gentile mean? Not of the Jewish nation. Everyone else. Yep. Not not Jewish. Now, specifically between in those two groups, who comprises this church? Considering that it's in Rome, what kind of classes of people do you think Paul is writing to? Oh. Rich. Rich and powerful. <clears throat> Rome is Washington, D.C. Of its, of its time. Probably the seat of the most powerful government in the world. Of course, that's debatable today, but it definitely wasn't back then. Rome was the most powerful government on earth. <clears throat> Who else is in the Roman church at this period? It's kind of an easy answer. If, if, there's, all, if there's rich people, who else is there? There is a lot of poor people. Um, <clears throat> you know, L.A. is probably a good example of this. Have you ever been to Los Angeles? Um, <laughs> uh, you have a strata of people that are very wealthy, <clears throat> and you have everyone else. Yeah, there's a middle class. There was no middle class in Rome. <clears throat> You're their aristocracy, and you had wealth, and you had power, and you had influence, or you were the everyone else category, which was at least 100 to 1 thousand to one difference a lot of poor people a lot of slaves remember slaves would be people that were taken either from their native land and 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 forced into slavery in the roman empire or they were people who had lived generations uh through maybe debt um trying to to recoup debt or were just property people who were looked upon as lesser than the roman empire anyway a lot of poor people But this is, this is our group. And, and the number one is kind of, it's, it's almost in order here, I think. I would flip these two. But I think what Paul is getting at is that for 16 chapters in Romans, he is speaking to people who have some kind of Jewish connection. <clears throat> because every chapter in Romans has something to do with the Jewish people. For the first two-thirds of Romans, he is specifically talking about how the law has changed how, maybe not the law has changed, but the way that God approaches the Mosaic law has changed. And now, you know, uh, maybe I'll ask that. Before the first century, 
how would Jews view salvation? What was the Jewish path to salvation? <clears throat> the law. The law was, and when I say the law, or you say the law, what do you mean by that, Lorna? Well, the animals was only, was only good for a year. So, uh, I mean, God, the, the way I took it, um, because only because God, you know, made it that way. Uh, that's, that's the way I take it. Hmm. Right? Well, what is the, mos uh, the question is, what is the Mosaic law? What is it? <clears throat> Who knows? It's a written law. Okay. From where is it written down? <clears throat> First what five we call books the Old Testament. Testament. Right. What did you say, Rodney? First five books of the Bible, basically. Yeah. That's, that's very good. So <clears throat> the, the original law commandments are in the first five books of the, what we call the Old Testament. For a Jew, it was called the Bible <laughs> or the Holy Scriptures. <clears throat> Um, Pentateuch, five books. But essentially, it was a whole list of rules and regulations that governed how the Jewish people were supposed to live their lives and supposed to relate to God and, and worship. And this included um, lots of different kinds of rules. And Paul is going to address a couple of them in Romans 14, but I just want you to tell me what were some of the rules that were written down in the law. <clears throat> okay, so we have... <clears throat> And I'm, I'm, I'm going to sum that up to say there was the, what we call the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> which includes things like keep the Sabbath, Sabbath, holy. What else was in there? Honor your mother. Yep. Honor parents. I think we, most of us would probably know some of these. What else? Don't kill, There you go. No theft. Don't kill. <clears throat> What does coveting mean? There you go. That's as simple as you can say it. Wishing you had someone else's stuff. <clears throat> now, in addition to the Ten Commandments, this is where it gets a little bit well, crazy. The law, if you were to ask a, a person on the street, you remember Jay Leno, and I'm dating myself now. I could say Johnny Carson, but I'll say Jay Leno. Would go up to people on the street and just ask them very basic questions. And it would be funny because the people on the street, you know, they would ask them, you know, who's the president of Russia or something like that? Or, you know, what is the Bill of Rights or something? And then people would give kind of funny answers because they may or may not know the answer or they may say something funny. And then it was funny and we all laugh about it. <clears throat> but if you were to go and ask a person on the street, what is, what is the Mosaic Law or what is the law of the Bible? Nine out of ten people are probably going to respond with what we kind of just said in here which is, well, it's the Ten Commandments, right? That's very popular. And if you go to, we well, used to go to, to, uh, to um, courthouses or schools um, or, or certainly to, um, <clears throat> to churches or, or even synagogues, you would see the Ten Commandments kind of prominently displayed. You might see even a reproduction of the Hebrew tablets. But the Mosaic Law to a Jew would be what? It would include this plus what else? The Levitical Law. Ah, here we go. <clears throat> Levitical Laws. Now, we're really talking here. There's 10 of these. How many of these are there? 620. Lots. <laughs> Lots. Now, I'm going to say, too, that up to the first century, and even past the first century, this was a small... I'm going to say... I'm going to say... Uh, you know, most Jews of the 
of the first century would, this is kind of a side thing, most Jews of the first century would consider their Holy Bible, their canon of Bible, to be what we consider our Old Testament. Plus, there would be some, some additional content, which is what has made its way into the Catholic Bible, <clears throat> which we call the Apocrypha, um, or even pseudo-pagraphic uh, uh, writings, which are considered now today to be essentially maybe not the most um, authentic or canon. Anyway, there would be, there would be this, this chunk, <clears throat> plus... Jews expanded upon their laws. And so now you have these things called the Mishnah. <clears throat> I'm not going to get too much into this. I, I'm just trying to say there is lots and lots. I mean, <clears throat> it's hard to, to, to quantify 10, hundreds, thousands, thousands of rules and regulations that govern every aspect of your life. What about the Book of Assumptions? Okay, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, Ken, thank you. I love you, Ken. <laughs> I, I, this, is, this is what I'm trying to say here. The Jewish path to salvation was what? And not just that they had the law, but what were you expected to do? Follow it. You were expected to follow it. A good Jew could find favor in God's eyes by externally appearing to follow all of these laws. What Paul is trying to say in all of Romans is, you got it all wrong. You have gone down a path that, that has derailed you from understanding what a true relationship with God is about. And Paul makes the, 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 the assertion in every chapter of Romans that you have completely deviated from the idea of why you did this in the first place, why you have these laws, what they mean, and what you're supposed to get out of it. <clears throat> Paul is making the claim. Paul's, I'll say claim, that's fine. Is that the law? Does it save you or not save you? Does not. Law does not save. What does the law do instead? What's the opposite of saving you? It condemns you. It condemns you. The law condemns. This message caused so much turmoil in the first century and is one of the reasons why so many pious, well-meaning Jewish people had so much problem with the message of Jesus Christ and with Paul. Because he's saying now that law that you have relied upon for 2,000 years, well, 1,400 years, not only doesn't save you, it harms you because of the way you have taken it. The law itself is holy. God's law is holy. Don't get me wrong here. But it is human's interpretation of that law, and the human focus has, has been corrupted. It is, we have taken what God has said is holy and pure and a guide for our lives to understand how to live our lives righteously, and we have perverted that, and we have corrupted that, and it has caused us to be stumbling over it. What is the path of salvation for a Christian? Faith in who? You don't believe it's nothing, you know. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, who is for Christians, who? Who is Jesus? Why is he so special? He's God's son. He is God's son. What else is he? He's God. God? Messiah. 
Savior. Savior. Yahweh. He's the final ultimate sacrifice. Final ultimate. And sacrifice for what? <clears throat> for our sin. For our sins. <clears throat> where was this where did this come from? Did it come out of nowhere? Where did the concept of the Messiah and Jesus and this final atonement or or, or it came from prophecy. It is the result of prophecy that came where? From where? From the Jews' own holy scriptures. This is not a surprise. This is not a new message. This is not something that God decided, okay, the law was okay for the first 1,400 years. Now I'm going to exit and I'm going to come up with a new idea. That's not what he's saying. Paul's claim is that all this is still valid. It's just that your path to salvation can only come because why? Why can this not be the path to salvation? Because no one can do it. There is not a single normal human on earth who can do it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness No one can be perfect. And where do we hear that no one on earth can be perfect enough to follow the, the law? Where did we first hear that? Jeremy knows. Old Testament. The Old Testament. This is not new information either. There are plenty of passages, what we call the Old Testament, the, the holy Jewish scriptures that told us there's no way a human being can ever be perfect enough to follow this law. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those things you should have known. <laughs> I've been telling you for thousands of years, right, that this isn't going to work. And now we have here the answer. It's kind of like, I've told you this before. What is the problem? Well, the problem is sin. What is the answer? The answer is not following the law. And when I say following the law, there's another word for law. Following the law, what is that? Very popular. Starts with W. Ends in irks. Works. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is what so many people in the first century and so many people today get hung up on. If I just act like a good person, I go and build my homes for human or uh, what houses for humanity. What do they call it? Habitat. Habitat for humanity. Without my glasses, somehow I'm dumber. I don't understand. Uh, I'm sorry. Habitat for humanity. If I just give to the United Way. <laughs> If I just act like a good person, right, <clears throat> if I say the right things, whatever God or gods of the universe there are will save me, right? I'll go to heaven or whatever that's called. <clears throat> what we're getting at here is that that's wrong. It's wrong because why? Even a logical, reasonable person will admit that there's no such thing as a perfect person. <clears throat> Salvation is only through faith. Faith in Jesus. And what does faith in Jesus mean? he is, who he claimed to be, that he did what he said he's going to do, okay. and he's going to do what he says he's going to do in the future. Okay. That even though we haven't seen him, mm -hmm. that uh, but he should. Okay. Yeah, that when he said he forgave all the sin in the world, that he forgave. Okay. That he, and we believe that he was the fulfillment of the law. He was actually the only one that fulfilled it perfectly. Okay. 
and then he conquered sin and sin and death through his death and sacrifice on okay. the cross. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Let's read Romans 14. Because, as it will turn out, and this is going to be a big thing, and we probably can't address it all today, the question is going to be, salvation is one thing. Kind of your, your, your gold Wonka ticket, if you want to look at it that way. You're right? you know, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. You, you open up your chocolate bar, and if the Wonka ticket is there, you have a ticket to go to the Wonka Factory and tour it and, and meet Willy Wonka and all that. Actually, this is a lot easier. If you just believe that Jesus is who he says he is, truly believe, you get the Wonka ticket. He hands it to you. It's free of charge. That's all you got to do. But then the question is, then what? <laughs> Then what? And this is, this is what can cause stumbling blocks for people. Let's read Romans 14. And we're going to do 1 through... Let's do 1 through 12. All right. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you who pa to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord who gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will, be, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself to God, of himself to God. Thank you, Roger. Reading that passage, I often ask you to keep in mind, as you read the Holy Scriptures, who wrote it, who is he, because it's always a he, writing it to, and why is he writing it? We already talked about the who, who is writing it, and who is he writing it to. Why is Paul writing this, do you think? I think he's writing it to address quarrels in the church about who is right in the interpretation of the law. <laughs> yep. So, we would, we would probably correctly assume there are quarrels going on in the Roman church. And you kind of expanded on this, Rodney. You said over there, did you say interpretation of the law? Interpretation, yeah. <clears throat> interpretation of the law. What specifically do you think are the problems that are being misinterpreted here, the quarrels over? Looks like the Sabbath to me. That is one of them. Why do you say the Sabbath? Well, especially from your Jewish um, folks in the Roman church, yep. they're going to want to try to keep mm -hmm. the Sabbath day 
Yeah. And, you know, one observes it as a special day, mm -hmm. and the rest observe all the days as the same. So yeah. this is exactly it. If you look at verse 5, one man considers one day to be more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. So that is definitely one of them, keeping the Sabbath. That's the other big one. For those who don't know, there were very strict regulations about what a Jewish person could eat or even come in contact with. And, you know, in this day and age, it's probably not too hard. What are some ideas of some food that you're not allowed to eat as a Jew? Pork. Pork is one big one. Bacon. Yeah, delicious bacon, right? You know? Um, uh, fish. Yeah, fish without scales. Yep, certain kinds of fish, exactly. Crab, crab lobster. Uh huh. <coughs> seafood. Yep. Things. Are, yep. Birds of prey. Okay, birds of prey. Certain hooved animals. Certain certain hooved animals. Things that crawled on their belly on the ground, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So there was a list of of animals that were off limits. <clears throat> this extended not just to the people. Who what they could eat, it extended to who could they eat with. And as a big controversy that happens um, in the New Testament, as we read in Acts and in other books, some of the Jews of the period had a big problem with even associating with Gentiles or others who were eating these, these bad animals. So if you were a pious Jew of the first century, you wouldn't even go to the house of a Gentile to eat with them. Um, you certainly wouldn't sit down and eat with a Gentile and share a meal. Um, and, and this was a big deal. And now, so what would you assume is going on here in the Roman church, given all of that? Yeah. And I'm, I think world's, I'm going to say division, because I think that really sums it up. It's not just fighting, it's drawing battle lines here. It's really just unification message. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. The crazy part is, is we still see it today. We start not fighting with the carpet. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, just to, you know, say the division between a church right here and the church that's literally a couple hundred yards across the street. Yeah. You know, we have ideological differences, and that can create a division or divide between the church. And we're not unified as one body, one believer, where it says all all will eventually bow down and you know to the Lord and you know and give account to of Himself to God. You know we're we're all under the same salvation, but yet we can't get along with each other because of you know our ideological differences. And really, the ultimate thing is, is we still believe in the same Savior, but we can't get along because of our own selfishness. So, I think Jesus said the example. He ate on the Sabbath. He did all that. He, he, he gave us the example that he, he referred back to John 17. Mm -hmm. He says... Uh, Keep them, Father, keep them in your name, the name of Jesus, <laughs> given me, <clears throat> that they may be one, even as we are. Mm. Like, I mean, that was like the main thing was Jesus wanted us to come back to yep. 
as a people, as not as, as whatever our differences are. So seeking, I'll say Christian unity. <clears throat> and maybe not just Christian, but just I get that. Yep, I understand. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. I'll accept that answer. Uh, I agree with that. Seeking unity. And then this, this will then branch off into how do we achieve that. But I want to, again, get back to um, what, is the, what is the problem with... Well, let me back up a little bit more even. Can you understand why this is happening? I'll just ask that. Yeah, and why? Why do you think this is happening? What do you think the intentions are of the people who, it sounds like, are looking down upon others for their certain actions? Why? That's not the way they've done it. Say it again. That's not the way they've done it. For thousands of years, yep. for 1,400 years, they've done it one way. Okay. And now it, it seems as though it's changed. And Due to history? Yeah. yeah. It makes sense because the, originally the Jews asked for the laws. Yeah. And it's because they wanted to be good and do right. This is so good. Eyes. They want. They really wanted to. And they still do. And so what better way to... <clears throat> Assess how well I'm doing, then to look yeah. at, you know, you know, you got to shake his head over there and say, well, you know, I mean, that's not really Jewish way to do I think this gets at a root issue here of the the two parties. The person who's hearing this, who may have the weaker faith, who is doing something that apparently he's being chastised for, looks at the other person saying, you're just trying to be a jerk to me. You're trying to, you know, why do you have such a bad intention? You're just trying to kick me out of your church. You're just trying to, to uh, ruin my, my faith and so on and so forth. But the person who is trying, you know, maybe in the wrong way to chastise this person and to tell them, you know, you're doing everything wrong, in a lot of ways, they may be doing that originally from a good place. They might be trying to say, I want you to understand this is not the way it should be. They're coming from a place of not, not trying to hurt people, but trying to say, this is the law I asked for. This was what I was told. I went to my rabbi as a child, and I said, how am, how am I supposed to live my life? And he said, well, son, this is how you're supposed to live your life. Here are hundreds, thousands of laws you're supposed to live your life by. And now all of a sudden, everything in my world is turned upside down. I have a message that faith, not law, saves me. I have all these Gentiles flooding in to my community who are sharing in the same salvation I'm supposed to get. And now I'm looking on these people. And I've been told my whole life, if you eat a pig, you're going you're gonna to burn in hell, basically. You will not have the covenant promises of God. And now I'm sitting right next to a person who's eating pork. What is your first reaction going to be? Your normal human reaction. Stop eating pork. I don't want you to go to hell. Or, I'm better than you. Or, this is the big one too. So there's two big ones here. It's both trying to help, which is coming from a good place, and it's this one, which is... I love that. I love that. And I'll put an asterisk by that one. This is the other one. I'm better than you. Sometimes we don't even know which one we're doing. I think it gets at here that in our attempt to help, 
Or when we act like we're better than others, we can cause serious damage. Obviously, Paul is not writing this just because, hey, I have nothing left to write and I got to write three more chapters. <laughs> right? What am I going to fill it with? He's trying to keep division. He's trying to keep the, the church from, from imploding. What is the famous example of the first century church that Paul tried for years to keep from imploding? Corinthian. The church in Corinth. Even at the end of the first century, our church fathers, our, you know, the, the people who lived after the apostles, are still writing that Corinth is still in a bad way. <laughs> 100 years later. It's really hard to get rid of this kind of thing. Right? But it can cause serious long-term damage. And like what Ken was saying, it can be personal or it can be, um, it can be um, uh, group-wise long-term damage. Isn't that the same place, though, that God told Elijah, there's 7,000 men that haven't bowed the knee and yep. fail? Mm. Is that the same place? Well, <clears throat> or a different place? Well, same place for what? I mean, was that correct? Or? No. Um, oh, you mean his reference to that? It may have been. Um, but I think what I'm getting at here is, <laughs> and maybe it's a question again, who does this? Is this just one group of people in a church who does this kind of thing? How many people do it? Everybody. I think that's the answer. <clears throat> I think we've all done it, maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally. So then I'm going to ask you the question, which this is the really important one. One, is there, is there things in the church that we are commanded not to do? Now, we have just been talking about two, food laws and the Sabbath. Are there, are there practices that go on within a church that are forbidden, that it is not a matter of opinion? So I'm going to ask this. What are the facts of forbidden actions? And what are opinions? Where it seems as though, there's two categories, it seems as though the two that we just heard here were the opinion piece. If your brother has a different opinion than your sister has a different opinion about a certain theological uh, concept, <clears throat> what should your reaction be? Here it seems that we're talking about the realm of opinion. <clears throat> well, I consider the food laws to be God's law. I feel you're not supposed to eat pork. I feel you're supposed to observe the Sabbath, which in my household was Saturday. We'll call it Saturday. <clears throat> and you're supposed to observe that. Are there cases where, no, it's not your opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter. It's very clear, God says there are still laws that you have to follow for your life. Think about that for a minute before you answer. Let's finish out Romans 14, and then we're going we're gonna to come back to this. So let's read 13 to the end, which is 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know... and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, 
you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not forsake, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have kept between yourself and God, <coughs> blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Thank you. What do you think? What is this telling us? Very clear. I've been a Christian for a long time. Hmm? You're eating with somebody that's a new Christian. Hmm? And maybe you know you can eat this, but they don't know that you can. Mm-hmm. They haven't learned that yet, maybe. And you go ahead and eat it, and that can make them stumble, thinking, okay, I'm not supposed to, but then you are doing that. Why? But it's better off if you don't eat it, if they rather than make them stumble. You can always eat it when you're home or not with that person. Eat it or drink it, wink. Huh? Eat it or drink it. And I'm gonna ask Lorna for the whole class, what is a good modern day analogy of this? Now today, we don't necessarily think in the first part of our mind, is that person a pork eater or not? But if you're a Christian, in some circles, especially conservative circles, there are certain things that you really are not expected to consume ever. What is that? Alcohol. Alcohol. How many people, you don't have to raise your hand, how many people go home after a, after a hard day at work and have a beer or drink a glass of wine? <clears throat> how many of us have been with Christians who don't do that? I want you to think about that for a minute. Let's say food laws. I'm going to add this. <clears throat> I'm going to add this here. Alcohol <clears throat> consumption. Do people who don't believe that you should ever touch a drop of alcohol have good reason to say that or believe that? I see a head nod. Why? Because they probably had some bad experience with it. Maybe okay. their dad drank or whoever, yeah. or maybe they had a problem themselves. Okay. And then they came to the realization that they have a problem that they just, so that is yep. something that they abstain from uh, partaking. So they interpret the scripture that says, don't be a drunkard. That's it. Uh, You're both right. But I think the the point of the scripture also is if um, we have that freedom in Christ to consume alcohol, but if there's somebody that doesn't have that that level of faith, we we abstain from drinking alcohol in front of that person, not because we think it's wrong, but because we are honoring God in that. We're not drinking because we know that this this person has a problem yeah. with alcohol, and that is our 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 worship, because we we don't want to stumble, you know, that guy. We don't want to be that stumbling block for that man 
or person who cannot have a yeah. drop of alcohol. He thinks it's wrong. But uh, I think that it's, it's, I think it's a matter of why you're doing or why you're abstaining from things. Ah, okay. Why are we doing this? Why, why do I think it's okay to consume alcohol? I just do, ah, I got freedom of Christ, woohoo! Or this is my act of worship, so to speak. Um, same thing with eating things or worshiping on a certain day. Yep. Um, it's, uh, it's How many? Like, this is a good point. <clears throat> How many of you, in the back of your mind, have ever heard of a friend or relative who went to a, a Saturday night church service? Not a sun. They don't go to Sunday services. They go to a Saturday night service. Maybe they go to a Wednesday night service, but they don't go on Sunday. How many people in the back of their mind think mm, that's still good enough? <laughs> When I was younger, I thought that was weird. I thought, yeah, you know, anymore. I mean, really, every day is supposed to be a, a day of worship. Yeah. You don't have to go to a certain place to worship. It's, yeah. You're supposed to be praising and honoring God in, in all walks, yeah. wherever you are, whatever you're doing. How many people have, have heard, oh, I've heard of this home church? They just meet in their house. That's not church. Is there a steeple? <laughs> yeah. Can I go to a, a different level? Yes, sir. With this, um, so in, in my Old Testament that I read, God is telling the Jewish people to go and kill all of these mm. people. Don't take their stuff. Yep. You can. It's okay to kill them all. Mm-hmm. Don't plunder all their yep. cattle and gods and gold mm. stuff. So. You know, if I'm a if I'm a U.S. Marine and I'm sent overseas, now I'm going back last week. I'm submitting to my government. Mm-hmm. I'm going over there, and I have a license to kill now. Yep. But if I come home, I, mean, I, I don't know what this has to do with anything. This is why we're here, Ken. This is exactly what we get into, right? You make this connection, but wait, what about this? Now what? And 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 now we have we have if Bible I, study every week. If I'm in Iraq, I yep. kill somebody over there. But I come home and I kill somebody here, and it causes Rodney to kill somebody. Then I, you know, mm-hmm. I've really done something wrong. But it's okay over there. So that's where it gets a little bit, I mean, it's a little dicey for me. Like, yep. Yep. That is that that we could have a whole we could have, we could make a year on this. But I, you're so good. But this is why we're here. And I'm going to ask, <clears throat> this all kind of gets around this idea of opinion. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, make a, a broad statement here and say <clears throat> there are some churches, many churches, who the, the, the freedom of Christ and the release from the Mosaic laws for them is total. For them, there is no law. There is no law you have to follow. There is no expectation. Your salvation and belief in Christ is so complete, you are free to live your life any way you want. This now gets at this difference. Is there a difference between certain issues that you can have an opinion on and certain issues that there is clear-cut black and white expectations? Yeah. And I see I see some people saying yes, nodding yes. <laughs> What's the right answer? Paul, pardon me. Yeah. 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 Ye
part of the thing. Say it again. Abstain. I'm abstaining. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're left. All said, all said, you can do anything. Okay. Everything is permissive but not beneficial. <clears throat> and that gets at the key of this, this piece here. And guess what? This, this gets at, you have to be careful not to take one phrase from the Bible and apply it to everything. Because <clears throat> Paul will write this exact same message to the Corinthians. Let's read 1 Corinthians 5. Because as it turns out, when Paul is saying everything is permissive, it's an everything with an asterisk. Who would like to read 1 Corinthians 5 for me? It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and you have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such as one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little heaven or a little little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside? God judges. Remove the wicked man from amongst yourselves. Are there sins for which you should be rejected, kicked out from the Christian community once you're in it? What are they? Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. <clears throat> which, in this case, applies to what specific case? <clears throat> Yeah, it's adultery. <laughs> yeah, adultery and <clears throat> taking a taking a family member's wife, basically. <clears throat> As it turns out, nine of the ten, ten commandments are commanded by Jesus that we are to continue to follow. Now, you remember, you know scripture. There are places where Jesus, you know, people ask Jesus, what are the most important commandments? And he will tell you that they are what? <clears throat> That's one. That's it. That's the second. Those are the most important. 
But there are nine total Ten Commandments that either Jesus or Paul or the other apostles say you have to keep following. I'll make it easy for you. It's all Ten Commandments except for what? Seven. That one. <laughs> this is the only Ten Commandment that is absent from the New Testament that we are ordered to follow. So that would leave all the others, which are what? Just rattle them off. Thou shalt not kill, covet, yep. steal. Yep, everything else. Except for that. Yep. Those are, this is here. I'm going to call it the Nine Commandments. And in some cases, here's, here's the key. Some of this has to do with issues that are gray areas for us that we are not supposed to judge our, our brother ever. Whether he is a Christian brother or not, these things right here. <clears throat> there are certain things, though, that are off limits at all times for all people, whether they are Christian or not. That's these things right here. <clears throat> what is Paul getting at in 1 Corinthians 5, though? Well, it's just interesting. He points out, do not judge the people outside of the body of Christ because they are not held to the same covenant as Christ, if you were to do that, you'd have to remove yourself from the world, which is impossible. So you can still hang out with people outside of the church that are doing these things as to be a witness to them versus the person in the church. You need to call that person to account for that sin and remove them from the body until they become, you know, repentant of that then they can rejoin the body as a fellow believer. So we can only hold people account for the laws of God that are, or at least claim to be, believers in Christ. Yes, all of that true with the added piece of within the Christian community. Right. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> it's still expected that we will have laws of the land that say do not kill. Do not murder, and if you do that, you're going to go to jail or something, you know, right? Something worse. Um, it's not saying do not punish people who kill and and steal and that sort of thing. Um, what we're getting at here is how you're supposed to deal with them as a Christian brother or sister. His point here is very good. It is, and and let this be known. I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all meaning people of this world who are. Basically, sinners. Why? Because we're all sinners. You won't associate with anyone, yeah. including yourself. But what you said, Rodney, is perfect. How are you going to be a witness to the sinful world if you never associate with them? Why is this so important? Peter gets rebuked by Paul. Peter said he wavered on this. Peter famously wavers on this whole thing about associating with Gentiles and eating with them. First he says, I'm not going to do it. Then he goes, okay, it's okay to do it. I'll go and have a meal with a Gentile. Then he goes and has a meal with a, you know, a certain group of Gentiles, and he gets a lot of crap from his Jewish brothers, and then he suddenly changes his mind again and says, okay, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And Paul says, you are so stupid. <laughs> Why? Because if you are not willing to associate with people who are sinners, you're never going to spread the gospel. But it doesn't mean you do all the things they do, right? Because what happens then? Then you're polluted. And you're showing them a bad example. 
it's all good. I'm, I'm supposed to associate with sinners, so I'm going to go and, you know, drink 10, 10 Miller Lights, you know, while watching the game and, and curse and do all these other things. But it's okay because I'm associating. No, no, it's not what it's saying at all. You can be in the world but not of the world. Perfect. And we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Yeah. But we can expect Christians who claim to be, if they claim Christ, to act like Christ. And if they're not, then we're supposed to bring that to account. Perfect. Boom. Going back to the Sabbath thing, one, yep. one of the things I've heard, the reason why we don't follow the Sabbath is because Christ is our Sabbath. He mm. is our, our rest. So we don't need to take any day off of rest. Um, but uh, He is our eternal rest. Mm. I can't remember who, who I heard it from, but it, was, it made sense. <laughs> What's the problem with saying there's just one day a week I need to worry about God? Yeah. <clears throat> and it's really hard. It's so subjective what a Sabbath is because my Sabbath yep. may be completely different than yours. Yep. I mean, I went and played uh, airsoft all day yesterday and kicked my butt. And that didn't feel like a Sabbath to me. Right. And I'm like, today is the day I'm going to kick You know? But some people might look, be like, oh, you just went and played all day yesterday. Right. Or you went to work. Yeah. Maybe you had to work on a, on a Saturday or something. So subjective. Yep. Or maybe you had to work on Sunday. Yep. You know. <clears throat> how does this change? What you have just read here, how does this change for you, your world? If at all, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I think it's... I think if we just need to bounce everything off of our perception or our point of view. How are we approaching things? Mm-hmm. I mean, are we doing doing things or following laws or following God's nine commandments for mm-hmm. other people to see? Like, look how good I am, or is it because yep. of I love God and I want to bear good fruit for that? Mm-hmm. Like, do I, you know? I guess in whatever I do or whatever I say or wherever I go, it, it needs to um, be uh, mm-hmm. through the, the world view or the lens of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. You know, is, is God the center of my life or uh, is there something else? Yep. The, reason, my, the reasoning behind of whatever I'm doing. Like, why do I come to church? Yep. You know, why do I, why do I should, um, come the pathway on Sunday morning? You know, why do I read my Bible? You know, is it uh, to be showy, um, to show other people how religious I am or whatever? Um, I hope not. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to my story earlier about mm-hmm. my mom. I mean, I, yep. I read right here that absolutely that's what the church should have done was to kick her out. Mm-hmm. And so then at what point does that, you know, we go back after her and say, hey, you know, that was just... Yep. I mean, I don't know. You know. Mm-hmm. And my dad's my dad's response on the other hand was to become more religious. Okay. More, very much more. Do more, be more. You know, make sure I don't slip up like you know like she did. Mm-hmm. It's an indiv- in- individual basis. They both did what they believed they wanted. And I, I look at my life now, and I have a better relationship with my mom than I do with my dad. So, mm, that's interesting. You know, yeah. it's just the whole, this does nothing for me today. I mean, it doesn't change mm-hmm. 
where my stance on mm -hmm. things because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I live, I live in that freedom, that place of nice. freedom in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think it also says that there's still hope for your mom. Yeah, and, and she has to choose that. <clears throat> really, I guess that really points to the law condemns mm -hmm. to me. You know, I, I, I was thinking so. So the Jews asked for the law because they wanted to be more like God. Because they, they had a, a desire to clean up their lives. Just give us some rules. Just mm -hmm. just spell it out for us so we can start to live how you want us to live. And then as they got those laws, and then later on it says, but nobody can follow these laws perfectly. So don't, don't think that you're ever going to fulfill the law. But there will be one that comes someday that will. And then here comes that one, and they were still struggling to understand and to believe it. Mm -hmm. Basically, what the law was to, to me then was to say, you can't. You're not. You'll never atone. You'll never be able to achieve that righteousness that God calls you to. And only <clears throat> after Jesus then could we be seen righteous in mm -hmm. His eyes. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it seems so clear, right, for us to look back at it right. and say, I kind of get the whole process of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could they not live that way? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like to sit here and go, man, those Jews were stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, but not really. They were, they were trying. I mean, I tried. You know? Yeah. I try to be more, do more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? We wrap up today by kind of focusing on this idea of salvation and faith. And at the very beginning, I said, there is salvation through faith in Jesus. But then I asked the question, what next? What next? The New Testament is actually very clear about this. <clears throat> at the day of judgment, you will have to give an account of all of your actions and all the words that you said to God. And what will happen then? We don't have to answer for what somebody else did, just for ourselves. Yes. What we did. Yes, and then what? I think we need to worry about more about keeping ourselves the way we should than okay. worrying about yep. trying to judge somebody else. We don't have any right to judge somebody else. You will, and, and based on your actions, and let's just talk today about those who are saved. Those who are saved. You get the, you get the Wonka ticket, right? Because you believed. Is there different levels of judgment and reward for those who are saved. Well, there was a uh, clear line saying, because you are not able to the laws, you will be judged harder. So there would be different levels. At some point. Like you said, there's a law of the land, right? So that's not real. That's for everybody. Yep. But you have somebody who's a teacher, we judge harsher because you're teaching us God's word. And if you're leading us down the wrong way, you're going to be judged harsher yep. as a as a teacher. That is true. So we know there's judgment for those who believe and are saved. Now let's talk about in salvation. Let's talk about the new kingdom. You're in heaven. If you want to call it that, it's really the new earth. Um, but, you know, your resurrected body, you have been judged whether you're saved or not. Now you're saved. Now I hear that there is additional judgment that is true. Doesn't mean you're going to hell just means there's certain things that are going to happen to you you have to account for. There's also what? 
for those who do good and have followed Jesus as a great disciple, what's the opposite of judgment? There are additional rewards and judgment for those who are saved. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be tortured. It doesn't mean you're going to burn in hell because that's not salvation. It just means there are different levels of reward for those based on what they have done. It's good or bad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might stir the pot here a little bit, but I'm gonna submit, yep. in, in my mind anyway, the rewards is gonna way outnumber the, the other. The, when God looks at us when, on that day of judgment, yep. of judgment, I mean, I've got a friend who has been to war and he's mm-hmm. killed people and he feels like, who am I yep. to do that? And his, his fear is that the judgment will be him standing, mm-hmm. say, like in the Superdome. Yep. And the jumbotrons are on, and he gets to take the podium, and God stands there, and, and all of a sudden, this whole video is playing of all the bad stuff that he's done mm-hmm. in his life. And I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe that it's going to show all you know how he saved his brother, mm-hmm. and how he treated his wife, and how he treated his kids and raised them up, and all mm-hmm. of those types of things. The, I, I struggle with because now I'm there, right? Mm-hmm. In the face of God, yep. he sees me as righteous. As righteous. He's not going to be, you know, going to shame on you. Well, well, I'm going to, I'm going to support the first part that you said here and say there is no tears in heaven. If you are saved, there is no tears, there is no suffering, there is no death, there is no disease, there is no sadness. But I'm going to support the part that you said you might get one crown, you might get seven. <laughs> I do believe. Now, th- this is my belief. It's a difference between, at the very bottom, the people who are saved, one crown, <laughs> right? If you want to call it that, and many. There's nowhere to go but up. You get in, you get in. And God, in his understanding of me mm-hmm. and why I did all the bad stuff that I've done yeah. in my life, there's been a pretty good list of those things. He's, he, he gets it. He understands why I went through that. Yeah. I mean, it's... There's, I, I think there's going to be a sense of how could you not have right. been that way because of the, the way you were raised, the way that you were hurt, and the things you've experienced. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, like I said, I might be really stirring the pot here with this. But why would God do this? I know we're going over, but why would God do this? Why would God say, if you're saved, you're saved, and you will be with me in paradise? He, he looked at the thief. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross next to him and said, today you will join me in paradise. That thief probably was not a seven-crown guy. He's probably a one-crown guy, but he's going to join Jesus in paradise. Why would there be, according to Scripture, and this is biblical, additional rewards for those who work to produce more fruit? Why? Isn't that judgment after we have become saved? Yes. Not what we did before. Right. Because we've been forgiven for what we did before. So... He's judging you, judges for what we did after we become, after we came to him. Mm, uh, this is after you rise again in the in the final judgment, last day of judgment. What did she say at that moment? So, mm. like, I accepted Jesus at kindergarten, mm-hmm. Sunday school, right? So then, ah, yes, you're saying the clock is ticking now about what kinds of, yes, I agree with that. Yep. He's, he's still going to reward people for all the glasses of water that they handed out in his name. I think that's it, Jeremy. I do. I think it, yeah. it, there's progress. I mean, mm-hmm. we got to continually keep Christ at the center of our lives. 
And if you keep your eyes on Him and realize what He has done, what He has done for us, and what He has forgiven us, we can't help but going out and giving glasses of water to those people, um, helping those who are less fortunate, sharing the gospel, living out our faith. And we're not going to get it right all the time. Yep. But we got we can't focus on that. Like, man, I didn't get it right today, so I'm never going to do it. Kind of like your mom. No, you, I screwed up. God forgive me. Okay, here's more glasses of water. Here's more meals. Yep. Here's some more money because I got Christ. On yep. my, he's my foundation. He's my rock. He saved me. He continues to save me. He continues to, to but we're not going to get it right all the time. You can't look back. You no. got to keep moving That's forward. It. Keep pressing. Keep. I mean, it's it's a it's a marathon. It's a race, and our, our goal is to uh, on the other side of this life, not you know, not for the glory, not to brag and say, "Hey, look at me, look at me." No, it's for God. It's for God. It's for God. This is for Jesus. I know what I've been forgiven, mm-hmm. and it's a lot. Mm-hmm. But that that's what that that forgiveness. It's like I read today in in Luke that the woman, he was sitting in Simon the Pharisee's house and a woman came in and cried over him, mm-hmm. washed his feet with her tears, wiped it with her hair, mm-hmm. his nasty feet, mm-hmm. and then anointed those feet. Mm-hmm. And Simon was like, if you knew what kind of woman this was, mm-hmm. he would not even let her touch you. He didn't say it, he said it in his heart. God knew what he said. He's like, Simon, let me tell you this story. This guy, um, this lender was owed by two people. One fifty dollars. The other one was five thousand dollars. He forgave them both. Who loved him more? Well, supposedly, was forgiven the five thousand. You are correct. She, her sins were many. All of them are forgiven. You did not give me water to wash my head or wash my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. She has not stopped since she came in here. Her sins are forgiven. So she went out. You look at uh, Luke eight three. There's women that are in his circle serving him because of the love that he bestowed on them, the forgiveness propelled them to produce fruit in their life. I'm going to serve this man. I'm going to love him through my actions. This is a great place to end. Thank you, Roger. Mm-hmm. I would say can continue to remember that once you're saved, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And if you screw up, keep moving forward. That's it. If you find yourself in hell, not if, keep moving. When? (laughs) All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week.